You're listening to episode 156 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Do you know what's been giving me great pause this week? Uh, X-Men relationships on Krakoa. Like, do you think it's weird to date and court someone on Krakoa knowing that everyone is a weird, like, pod person that just came out of an egg? Like, oh, hey, Toad, uh, weren't you dead yesterday? Oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Toad? Why would that be the person? <laughs> oh, well, Toad is the most uh, randy on the island, for sure. Toad, you think? Oh, for sure. Over Nightcrawler. I would think Blob Hermit. <laughs> or the Blob himself. Nah, nah. Oh, what am I? Glob Hermit is who I'm thinking. Yep, yeah, no, I gotcha. I didn't correct you, though. Don't worry. No, wait, shut up. It's the the boner guy from X-Men Evolution. <laughs> Who's the boner guy? Oh, Spike? The guy that shoots, yeah, the guy that shoots bones out of his <laughs> body. The boner guy. I don't even think Spike is at Krakoa, quite frankly. No one invited him. Krakoa, never mind. Too many bones? <laughs> they have too many bones to pick with him? No, never mind. Uh, no, what about the girl who's just a brain in a vat, or a brain in a jar? Yeah, I think she's been going steady with Toad for a while. Oh my god. I wish I knew more about the X-Men so I could keep this bit going, but I I'm out I'm out. <laughs> I've stretched my knowledge to the max. Nah, what about that, that? Go ahead. I was gonna say Kel's gonna be that numb nuts that's like, what about Batman? <laughs> <laughs> I bet I bet Wolverine and Gene and Cyclops are having a three way. Well, we're gonna be talking about that a little later. Hey What about that kid who's like uh, a bird guy from Grant Morrison's run? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Birdman Jones. What's his real... No, nah, what's his name, though? Do you guys I'm trying remember? to remember. That kid's life is messed up. He looked... I, I do recall with... I, I, I think at this point it, it was either uh, Van Shiver or Quitely, but his... The way he looked, he looked like a, like a, a fetus chicken. <laughs> a fetus <laughs> chicken. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's fair. Uh, I can figure this out. Uh, I also like the idea of Sauron being there. He just wants to make dinosaurs. <laughs> Do you think they're not going to let him make dinosaurs on, on Krakoa? Well, they don't need him to make uh, medications or whatever. That's true. Uh, was it uh, Beak? Barnell Bo- Bohus? Yes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Beak, yeah. I think you're right. He's always malting. <laughs> He's trying to hook up. Why did he cross the road? To hook up with Toad. Uh, I didn't need that image in my brain. Anyways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've, we've, we've got quite a few things to talk to you guys about. We're going to be reviewing X-Men number one on this episode, which I'm very excited to talk about. We've also got some massive news behind the scenes at Marvel, and not just Marvel Studios or marvel films but marvel comics so lots to get to on that front but uh before we do that i want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet we are the comics pals thank you for joining us if you want to get with us on social media we are at the comics pals if you want to get us on any podcast hosting service you can do so just by typing in the comics pals you will find us most likely if you don't hit marco up on twitter at mr marco Edamoto and yell at him yeah, uh, I like that. He's not here can, to defend himself. That's right. That's the best time to attack. Uh, 
And, uh, of course, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com to talk to us about whatever it is that you're interested in, comic book-wise, you know. If it's a movie, if it's a television show, if it's Jean Grey, you know, hit me up <laughs> privately. Um, and then, last but not least, we're on YouTube, and we've got a bunch of new interviews up there right now that we did from New York Comic Con. So whether you want to see Phil, Marco, Pete, myself, not Kale, uh, you can... Yeah, that's right, not Kale. <laughs> Don't you forget it. The closest you'll ever get to seeing me is the face on the logo. You can go to youtube.com slash thecomicspals and check out any one of our interviews. We've also got other non-interview content from New York Comic Con coming down the pipe over there. So uh, head over there and check that stuff out while you're there. Make sure you subscribe to our channel, like our videos, and uh, share all of this with your friends. It's free to do and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you, so thank you for that. Now, speaking of uh, writing to us, our good friend Ryan did so just the other day. Yeah, he wrote us a long essay. <laughs> and so, you're going to read it. Sure am, because Pete's not here to put a lot of energy into it. To shout it into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this is from our dear friend Ryan Klubeck, who didn't even see me at New York Comic Con. Hi, guys. Wow, what an experience I had at NYCC. First, I just wanted to say how nice it was to meet you all. I saw how busy you were trying to get your interviews in, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come and say hello. I was hoping to reconnect with you later, but we all had crazy schedules that day and undoubtedly got swept up in the excitement. Next time, I'm aiming to do two days. Hopefully then we'll have more time to chat. Sorry I missed you, Phil, my favorite pal. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Okay, that was not it. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? Uh, <laughs> My first goal upon entering was securing a spot to meet Brian K. Vaughn at the Image booth. Unfortunately, the tickets were all gone, so I moved on to my next goal, meeting Colin Bunn. Now, this was my first New York Comic Con, and I'm not used to just going up to people whose work I admire and striking up a conversation, but I learned quickly that I had no reason to be nervous as Bunn was very kind and happy to chat as he signed my books. I asked him a question about how he plots out his stories, and he gave out a nice, thoughtful answer. Truly an A-plus dude. We'll never find out on this show how he plots and, and uh, uh, lays out his uh, books. Ryan, you gotta give us the details. Later on, we found ourselves near the image booth where, uh, while Vaughn was signing, and I asked one of the image reps if a meeting would still be possible. I was directed to an overflow line, and before I knew it, BKV and I were chatting like we were old friends. We talked about the trials of fatherhood and how becoming a dad halfway through Saga's life cycle completely changed my read of the book. He signed an issue of Y and an issue of Saga, and I thanked him for his time. What an incredibly nice guy. Sounds like you're describing me. This is weird. Uh... <laughs> I also had a commission done by Ben Templesmith, of whom I've been a fan of for some time. While he worked on that, we attended a panel on Sean's favorite show, Castlevania. Not quite. It was fun to hear from Warren Ellis and the rest of the cast and crew. When asked what makes vampires so appealing, director Sandit said they have the best rare drops. I lolled. Thanks <laughs> thanks again for reading and taking the time to meet up with me. I hope you guys enjoyed the con as much as I did. Sincerely, Ryan. P.S. Phil, you're the best. Right. Didn't say that. Oh, Definitely uh, did uh, we, we will never know for sure. I mean, we're literally <laughs> reading it. But hey, who's counting? Uh, yeah, so thanks a lot for 
meeting up with us. That was really, really cool. Uh, we've met people in the past who, you know, enjoy our show, but uh, you've been a long time listener, so it's really, really cool to be able to put a name to the face, as it were, and uh, have said hello. I do wish we could have gotten a picture together or something like that, but uh, maybe next time. Glad you had an ex- a good experience. Uh, those opportunities that you get to meet someone at Comic-Con when you think you're not going to, the way you've met Brian K. Vaughn, are super cool and uh, have happened to me sparingly few times, but every time that it does happen, it's always really meaningful. So glad you had that opportunity. And uh, yeah, I wish I had known that Warren Ellis was at the con because I would have loved to have met him. Uh, And also, uh, Ryan, hook us up with your good friend BKV next time you're in New York. Yeah. Yeah, geez, Ryan. Hold it out. Yeah, so thanks for writing to us, Ryan. And uh, that sounded so we'll sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that I'm dead it sounded serious. like it came from me. I had no, to look no. around a second. No, no, hey, no. Hey, thanks for writing in, Ryan. Okay, it did well, sound like I, hell. No, I did not say it like that at all. Yeah, you did. That is ridiculous. <laughs> you did. Listen, let's move on because that's outrageous. Hey, but thank you for writing in, Ryan. See, that's how you say that's, it, Sean. That okay? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's how I said it. Thanks, Dillweed. <laughs> All right, you need to relax. Uh, so you know what we've got? We've got some time. I want to talk about something that I think is interesting. Uh, so Mitch Jarrett's recently was he did a he did a podcast. And he talked about something that could have happened but didn't. I want to know if you guys are interested in this. So he told a story about how. Him and Tom King, you know, they were looking for their next project. Uh, this is before the Batman run uh, for Tom. And he talked about how they were looking for their next project and they had this really interesting idea for a story that could slot right into Scott Snyder's Batman run, actually. Uh-huh. It would take place... <laughs> was ridiculously over the top (laughs) it would take place during the war of jokes and riddles story arc and basically it was going to be a wait sorry wasn't that that was tom king's story arc though wasn't it no this was during scott snyder's run on batman war of jokes and riddles yeah that was that wait oh no 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 you're right you're right what am i talking about yeah of course are you you thinking zero year maybe no 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 i'm i'm thinking of 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 uh of war jokes and riddles i just I, i misspoke sorry oh okay yeah so okay i'm actually just gonna read uh 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 a comment from bleeding cool because this person is quoting him from the iFanboy interview that he did. Um, and so basically, it was going to be longer and more of an Occupation Warzone narrative. But they approved it for the main series instead because they didn't want Jared's because they felt he wasn't ready for Batman. So to fill the hole in King and Jared's schedule, mm-hmm. King went to Didio, who told him to do a Vision-style series with either Atomic Knights or Mr. Miracle. So that's how we got Mr. Miracle. Interesting. Mm. Uh, huh. Atomic Knights would have been interesting, too. Yeah. 
I don't know what that is. What is that? Uh, oh boy. Put me on the spot. Did not have an answer ready. Well, you say something's going to be interesting. I assume you know what you're it's, talking about. It's, as I recall, it's a bit like the Challengers of the Unknown. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but a little more, uh, a little more sort of hard sci-fi as opposed to sort of Fantastic Four-y expo- Well, no, I would say Atomic Knights are more Fantastic Four versus like the exploratory adventure comics that the Challengers were. I see. As I as I recall, I I, rem- I remember them best from uh, there was a there was a book called The Battle of, for Bluehaven uh, during Infinite Crisis, uh. Uh, and they were in that. Uh, I can't remember their, what their deal is though. Uh, and that that's just embarrassing on my end. <laughs> did you just say Bluehaven? Yeah. Yes, he did. It's got that. Uh, <laughs> it's got that. It's got that umlaut. Pretty sure it's just Bloodhaven, but okay. Man, that's doubly embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so, in in reference to this, Mitch tweeted out, that's not to say my new work goal isn't to return to our CD Noir Batman Maxi someday. You're Tom King, TK? Uh, so, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the idea of Mitch and Tom doing what they've done for, you know, Vision and Mr. Miracle now with a more high-profile character like Batman. I love the idea that this story could have taken place in the middle of war and jokes and riddles because I don't know if you guys had the opportunity to read that arc, but it very much fits in with the style of, at least I would say, of Sheriff of Babylon. It, it completely has the Tom and Mitch... Uh, sauce to it, but it doesn't have hmm. Mitch on it, which is weird. And again, you know, this that only happened because DC didn't feel like Mitch was ready for the big job, and that's so weird to me. That's wild. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, this was this was a long time ago now. I mean, you know, long. This was a, a couple few years ago at this point, but still, that that for whatever reason they were confident in Tom, but not Mitch. It seems like it'd be the opposite way around. <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, it's a lot easier to gauge an artist's sort of mature, I don't know, maturity level, I guess is the best way to phrase it, versus a writer's, even just based on first glance. Because art is a visual, a visual medium, right? So it just seems like you could look at Mitch's stuff, even from, from Sheriff, and be like, oh, damn, I want him for Batman. Whereas Tom, I feel like, especially with some of the, the stories that even he's told coming out of he you know getting into comics and getting into mainstream comics it it just sort of feels like maybe tom wasn't necessarily ready for batman i'm going to assume that that phrasing is it more implies sales wise people wouldn't have showed up for mitch i mm. well my my question was is there a concern over the deadline rigors of working on Batman for someone like Mitch because uh mm. they might need an artist to prove that he is or they're capable of meeting you know uh intense deadlines for a book like that yeah that that was my thought that's possible that's very possible I mean the artist on War of Jokes and Riddles was Mikkel Janin. mm 
and it's funny because he does kind of have I'm not gonna say the same style but like a like kind of sort of similar quality to Mitch so maybe that's the case maybe I mean he is kind of at that point at least a higher profile name but also someone who has so many years in the industry and you know uh, someone who you can rely on so I think there's probably merit to what you're saying yeah this is a thought yeah I think I think I'd be interested on that team up on a on a Batman run that wasn't necessarily that wasn't necessarily on the you know the front of the stands you know that wasn't the Batman title proper. Gotcha. Yeah, which is what they were trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that that would be good. I I could see that. Yeah, I I would really love it and I encourage you to read War of Jokes and Riddles because it 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 was it was the only time during Batman where Tom King's writing style that started to grate on me later was mm. I thought really effective because you get to see Batman as a character who is haunted by not necessarily what he does, but the things that the villains do. You know, like the th- the things that the the links to which the Joker and Riddler and the characters who they were associating themselves with were willing to go. As I as I recall, the the that arc is being told uh, by Bruce to Selina. Yes, to to Catwoman. Yeah, um, after the fact. Yeah, and yeah. it's just it's a really good arc, very very dark. And again, I can totally see what Mitch is talking about. It makes perfect sense now that he says it that this was something that he was supposed to be a part of. That this was something that him and Tom had cooked up. You can you can it has all the fingerprints on it. So uh, I really wish we could have gotten that, but I think it's interesting that Mister Miracle wasn't necessarily something that they were looking to do from the outset that it was that it was a consolation prize for not getting to do their batman story Mm. it's also kind of funny because in my mind mr miracle made sense because vision was like a like a lesser like not an a-tier character yeah right yeah yeah have you uh have you guys finished that book yet Mr. Miracle, you know yeah. what? I have every issue, and I was excited about it, but I never finished. I never like read the last two. Yeah, and those were the worst parts of the book, actually. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been kind of putting it off because at one point we talked about doing a book club for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, might. everybody was so hyped about it, but so I was kind of putting it off for that. But I mean, it's a good book. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's just uh, it kind of gets in the way of itself. Which is how I feel about Tom King in general these days. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know what's up with that guy, but uh, he is a he is at his best. I think Tom is a tremendous writer. I also think that he is very stretched between yeah. mm. uh, you know he's working on Batman, and we know now he was working on it at the same time as Mister Miracle and uh, whatever TV show stuff he's been involved with. Um, which we reported on, you know. Plus the movie stuff. Plus the movie stuff, yeah. So he's got his hands in a lot of pots. And, you know, if he were an artist, we would say, oh, that's that's insane. If he even had two projects going on at the same time, we would say that's insane. So Well, and I feel, I feel like I, feel, I listened to a podcast. It, I, it wasn't Word Balloon, but it was a podcast... I feel like it might have been done by like NPR or something. That was a series on 
uh, the comic book industry. And it was a series of interviews where they, they talked to the writer, the artist, uh, the inker, the, uh, the digital seller, the colorist, the letterer. Uh, it was really interesting. But so the, the writer episode talked to Tom King and he said that he gets, uh, he can do a script in five days huh. and he, and he need, often he needs three of those days to get ready to do the script. And that's including like stuff with his family, sort of, uh, research. Um, I don't know. It was, it was really interesting. Mm. It, 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 it sort of like I related to it as a writer. Yeah. Cause that, that's about my timing, but I also at the same time is like, I'm also not a mainstream creator. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that does sound like a, a relatively short turnaround time. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, I think his meteoric rise kind of contributed to, to, uh, maybe a faster burnout too, you know? Um, that's why I'm really curious what Adam Strange is going to be like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm actually very excited for that, especially with Doc Shader being involved. It's, sure. it's going to be cool. Yeah. 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 Let's do some pals pulls. So first up from Kale, we've got uh, Hexwives, the trade for that. Yeah, so this was written – this was another one of the I – th- I think this this is surely the last of the Vertigo uh, trades to come out of their relaunch. Uh, but here next week, I'll probably have another one. So um, this was uh, written by Ben Blacker. Um, he did the Thrilling Adventure Hour. He's done a ton of stuff. I talk about him all the time when he comes up. Um, uh, a series about a, uh, uh, a group of witches who have basically run the world and fought a group of uh, warlocks throughout the history of time. And uh, one of the witches wakes up in 1950s suburbia with no knowledge of what she's been a part of for her whole existence. Um, and it's the, the story of that. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm really pumped to finally get it in trade. So I'll go, you know, read it, give it a shot. I actually read, uh, like the first two issues of this. Oh, really? Yeah. I bought it, uh, because I was kind of excited about the vertigo stuff Mm. and I like Mirka and Dolfo's art a lot. So I picked them up, and I won't spoil anything for you, but I liked it. But I didn't like it enough to keep going. To keep going. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but I hope you get something out of it. I, it. It's enjoyable. There's stuff to like, for sure. Yeah, sure. Cool. Good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm a big fan of uh, Blacker and the stuff that he does. I was just having a conversation with uh, Murphy on the Longbox podcast. He, uh, when when... Ben Blacker and and his his writing partner Ben Acker when they get together and they really put their nose down and do dramatic stuff it can come out really really good like up there with like Blue Brew Baker wow so I'm I'm excited to see how this comes out yeah yeah and again to be fair I didn't finish it so uh, there may have been a lot more meat on the bone than there was in what I saw. Mm. Uh, but you also chose the zero hour twenty fifth anniversary omnibus. Whoa! Yeah, listen, I will never buy this for myself. <laughs> uh, but 
Zero Hour comes, uh, it was a, one of the post-Crisis on Infinite Earths events. Uh-huh. Um, and it, uh, I think it was the one that happened right before all the really bad shit happened to the DC superheroes. Well, that's vague, man. I don't know what you mean. No, well, like Superman died, Batman broke his back, Wonder Woman, who the hell knows what happened to Wonder Woman? Uh, <laughs> that is true, I think. Uh, I think, I think, uh, Zero Hour is where Green Arrow dies? It is, yes. He, it's because of the parallax thing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, this, this hits me right in an era where I, uh, have, it's a, it's sort of a rare blank spot for me in um your catalog of dc in, knowledge in that time of comics yeah mm. so i'm really uh excited that this is back out there because it's been uh, it's also been off the market for a while um it's a shame i'll never get it but yeah this is like a half crisis book as uh, the crisis is in yeah. the title it's like crisis in time but like it's kind of like a crisis 1.5 kind of thing in a way that like the civil war movie is people call it avengers uh 2.5 or whatever. 3.5, yeah, 2. something 5, like that, yeah. yeah. It's, this is similar to that, I think. It's a gap for me. I don't know why I haven't read it yet, but I would like it's to. Not been out there. Well, Zero Hour has been out there. The actual book hasn't, though, is what I'm saying. Like, the that era has just, it's largely been just replaced. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's why I've never read it. I've always been interested in it, but I've never been able to find it right yeah i hear what you're saying so i i chose angel number six classic right, right now the angel and buffy titles are involved in their first event which is called hellmouth and so this will be the third issue of that because hellmouth number one and buffy uh, came out, and so Angel 6 will be the third issue. It's been really, really cool so far. The shows never crossed over too, too much. Uh, Angel might appear on Buffy, Buffy might appear on Angel, but there wasn't a lot of, like, watch this episode of Buffy, and then watch this episode of Angel to get the full story, which mm -hmm. is, in retrospect, kind of a weird thing to not have tried to capitalize on, but uh, the comics are doing that, and it's really exciting, so... If you're a fan of Buffy, fan of Angel, this is a great time to jump on. You can you can jump on pretty much with Hellmouth number one, and uh, you will not have skipped too much of a beat, so highly recommend it. Hell yeah. Nice, dude. Yeah. And uh, then Phil and I chose Marauders number one. Yeah, well, uh, we're on this toboggan ride until, uh, as I say, we ride and die, you know? Uh, this is uh, Gary, uh, Jerry Duggan and uh, Matteo Loli. And I am really excited. Uh, this seems to be, like, the book everyone's most excited for, too, with Captain Kate Pride and, like, this whole kind of pirating thing. This is, yeah, this is actually the one I'm the most excited for, too. And I, I don't particularly know why, especially with what we know of the, uh, the you know, the premise of the book. Uh, I know why Sean's most excited for it. Uh, I think that should be obvious well, to you yeah. and to me and to all of our listeners. It's because it's a pirating book. You're wrong. <laughs> You're, you couldn't be more wrong. I I so wish that that was not a part of the premise. I, like I'm, I wish I was joking. I, <laughs> I honestly, I was very surprised to see it on your list. I, look, 
I got swept in. Like, I'm, I'm involved in the hype. It sounds like it's going to be really cool, but not because of the pirate stuff, because of literally everything else. Like, why is <laughs> why would the X-Men ever be on a boat when they have flowers that can teleport them anywhere on Earth? <laughs> Boats and pirates are cool, man. There's no reason for this. Why couldn't he just tell a Starjammer story where these douchebags get trapped on a boat for some reason? You know, like... It's about the journey! Yeah, the journey that could be cut in... in, <laughs> in not even in half, in... in infinitely by just getting it a flower like you see it in x-men one why like cyclops goes from earth to the blue area of the moon in two seconds <laughs> why would you ever get on a boat if you're an x-men in fact why wouldn't you uh. just get on a i don't know a plane you know we have a lot of other means of travel we don't need to be doing this anymore but does the vehicle make a pirate uh, yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah, otherwise you'd be a marauder. Ugh. A marauder is a land pirate. Oh. 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 Yeah. My college okay, mascot was... was the marauders. I was ready to write that one off. That was more educated than I expected it to be. Yeah, I like that. Now let me ruin it by dabbing into an audio medium. You're lame. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, but but no, they're going to be on a pirate ship though, right? Like we've seen. Yeah. I, they're definitely on a boat on the cover, for sure. Yeah. They're like T-Pain. <laughs> this is... Uh, I don't know. But, like, for me, it's like, I'm amazed that this is the one I'm interested in, because that Emma Frost Hellfire Club drug cartel thing feels like a... It feels like a B-plot. But it's the one that's got me like, all right, I'll try that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I love Emma Frost. And I love... The Hellfire Club, I think they're great. So this is going to be really cool for those reasons. And also because Kitty Pride, they tried to, to kind of up her status a few years ago. But then she just ended up becoming Star-Lord's girlfriend. And I just, I don't Ugh. know, that was, that was like a, a weird time. That was a time, a time of interesting change, but not all of it was uh, great. Yeah. And whenever Bendis gets a hold of her... Uh, you know, it's I, weird. It, 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 I, I understand that that's a huge character for him, but I totally get why. It just feels like... It's I'm, the same reason that Gene is a big character to you. I don't think so. I think he, she's Jewish, he's Jewish. That was some a character he really like looked up to or whatever. And so it's cool for him to be able to write that character. But it feels more like a fan fiction-y thing of like, I'm going to up this character's profile hugely because I'm writing her. Which some writers do. It seems like he just puts her in a relationship with whatever main character of the book he's writing, which is super fan fiction-y. He said, he's, I think it was on Twitter, he said he wants to do the same thing for Zatanna. Yeah. Even like the <laughs> like his Lois feels like that a little bit. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, I don't know. Hey, I'm all for these characters getting higher profiles, but the, uh, for me... You know, there's a way to do it that feels authentic and earned versus just, I'm here now, so this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yep. But, hey, he's and got the pen. That's Bendis. <laughs> yeah. He's the one getting paid for yep. it. So. And I got the pen, I can do what I want. And he's doing what he wants. God. And it sells. So, that's what counts. What would, what are we going to do with this drunken sailor? What are we going to do with this drunken sailor? 
I'm bringing it back to the pirates for us. All right, so let's jump into the news because I don't know what you're going on about. (laughs) My favorite part is he does the joke, and then he just explains it like we're not, like we're not all on the same page. We just we spent ten minutes on a book about pirates, and he's gonna make a pirate joke like we're not gonna get it because the book's about pirates. (laughs) Anyways. Uh, we've got some casting news from the Batman. So, Matt Reeves, the Batman, has been in production for the longest time. This is the same movie that originally was supposed to have Ben Affleck directing and starring in. Then he was just going to star. Oh, and producing. Then he was just going to star and produce. Um, was he writing it, too, at some yes, point? Yes, absolutely he was. He was writing it as well. Uh, and then... <laughs> Literally all the roles he could have had in the production of this movie fell away, and now Matt Reeves is working on it, and Robert Pattinson is playing Batman. But uh, things have been pretty quiet on that front since then. We've heard a lot of we've heard some rumblings about having multiple villains, but didn't really we haven't heard too much more until now. Uh, this week we actually got uh, two confirmations of. Uh, actors playing specific roles. Uh, we got the confirmation that Zoe Kravitz will be playing Selena Kyle. That's cool. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kale, this. Sh- what do you think about this cast? It's fine. <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't have. <laughs> I don't super have an opinion about it. Uh, what is Zoe Kravitz been in? So I know her from Big Little Lies, the HBO. I guess you could say dramedy. It's uh, it's an okay show, but she's definitely the best part. Her and uh, is that the one with Reese Witherspoon it, and like Jennifer Lawrence? Uh, it's not Jennifer Lawrence. It's a Jennifer Lawrence lookalike. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who is the remember Batman and Robin or Batman Forever? The woman who was like the the psychiatrist. She's a super famous actress. Oh, I'm Nicole Kidman. Yeah, I'm embarrassed to not remember her name. Uh, Nicole Kidman and Zoe Kravitz are absolutely the best parts of that show. But in any event, uh, Zoe Kravitz is tremendous. She is a really really good mm-hmm. actress, and I am so excited for her to be in this movie. It's fine. She was good yeah. in X Men First Class. She was good, and was, uh, I didn't see what that was either. her role in that. Uh, she was uh, what? Angel Salvador? <gasps> what? Yeah. <laughs> no, she was not. Really? I'm pre- I'm pretty sure. I'll look up a cast. That is shocking to me. I I wow. Um, in any event, while he looks that yeah, up, yeah, 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 yeah. She was in it. That's crazy. I gotta go watch that again. Um, yeah, dude. So, the interesting thing about this casting is that the only other time that we saw Catwoman, Selena Kyle, as a black woman was in um, in Frank Miller's Batman Year One. Right? She's mm-hmm. the she's a yeah. prostitute, mm-hmm. and huh. that I because I, I didn't know she was black. Yeah, yeah, um, or supposed to be black. I guess maybe you could say it was a little bit ambiguous, but I definitely have always thought she was black, and that's the general consensus around that story, um, which made it so weird for me when she wasn't black anywhere else. One of the Catwomen in the 1966 Batman was black. 
Eartha Kitt. Too. Eartha yep. Kitt. Oh, Eartha true. Kitt. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Good point. Um, so it's got it's got roots. Yeah. It's got roots. Well, and uh, first of all, how dare you, Halle Berry? Oh, I forgot about that movie. <laughs> I forgot that existed. You know, it's funny because I never understood. Like, okay, I get that Halle Berry was a massive uh, uh, actress, a huge draw, but I, I never understood why they cast a black woman in general as Catwoman. But now, only now, in 2019, does it make sense that there's lineage for that? There mm. is, yeah. It goes back 50 years. Very good. Uh, the internet has mostly been positive surrounding this particular casting. There was some conversation about the fact that, you know, Catwoman is supposed to be black, or <laughs> supposed to be black, supposed to be white, <laughs> and uh, uh, how she should have, you know, a different body type. I say uh, no to all of that, and I say <laughs> that as someone who normally does get bullish about, you know, uh, characters being translated properly over from comics to the screen, but in the case of Catwoman, her whiteness or whatever else is not really a part of her story, so you can easily get away with that, and then also, like we just addressed, there's lineage there, so I think getting the best actress possible is most important when you have an opportunity like this to go in any direction because of the malleability of the character. So I'm really excited for this. Yeah, it should be good. I like it. Yeah. Phil's on board. Ugh. She actually had an interesting story to tell. Um, this was a, a little while ago, but it's resurfacing now because of this news. In 2015, she did an interview with Nylon, and uh, she said that she got passed over for The Dark Knight Rises oh. because she was too urban. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that sound, no. That sounds like some Christopher Nolan shit. So she said, It does sound like Christopher Nolan shit. Oh, She God. said, In the last Batman movie, obviously, The Dark Knight Rises, they told me that I couldn't get an audition for a small role they were casting because they weren't going urban. It was like, <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? I have to play the role like, yo, what's up, Batman? What's going on with you? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. Christopher Nolan didn't want to put the implications of having a black woman stealing a rich white man's jewels in the film. Well, it was a, a small role, right? Yeah. It wasn't Catwoman? I'm, getting, I'm gathering that she wasn't actually up for the role of Catwoman. In the film, uh, it's, it's clear if he didn't want someone <laughs> quote too urban uh, unquote uh, in a small role that that wasn't going to happen for Catwoman of all things. That yeah, that is so just odd, and I, I wonder what role she could have been up for. I guess maybe um, you know those underground people from the movie who were like Bane's army. Like maybe she could have been one of those people. Which I can't, men. I can't at all see how she couldn't have done that, but whatever. Christopher Nolan's era is over. That Tory prick. <laughs> is he a Tory? Yeah. What? Oh yeah, you see uh, Dunkirk. That dude's a giant Tory. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that changes everything. What's a Tory? <laughs> <laughs> That's they're, a Republican in England. They're basically the British Republicans. They're the shitty Brit British Republicans. Oh, really? Yeah, they're like the, they'd be like the Tea Party 
uh, back when that was a thing. Whoa. Well, I mean, Tories are like 400 years old. <laughs> yeah. Huh. That's not Yeah, cool. they're pretty... Yeah, they suck. Yeah, well... He makes great movies, so I don't care. I had, I had no idea. That's what I mean. Most, I, I mean, most rich people are like. Yeah, exactly. What are you gonna do? Uh, so we also got confirmation on casting for the Riddler, or should I say, Edward Nashton. We will be having the actor Paul Dano playing the Riddler for this film. Uh, Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. There were rumors that uh, Jonah Hill maybe would would play this character because Jonah Hill was heavily rumored to be playing a character in the movie. Uh, from from what I had seen, it was either this role or the Penguin, but that fell through. The Penguin that that rumor just sounds mean. <laughs> But you know what? It doesn't even make sense in that context anymore because if you've seen Jonah Hill lately, he's like totally. He's lost a lot of weight. Yeah, he's reshaped his whole body again. Yeah. Well, I don't know about again, but he. I know. Last I saw him, he'd lost a bunch of weight and then sort of gained it back. Oh, so then yes, again. At least from and what then, I've seen. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not a. I'm not a big fan of Jonah Hill personally. I could take a take him or leave him. Um, Paul Dano, though, I. Uh, Terrific That's actor. Interesting. Yeah. Underrated big time. Yeah, where do you guys know him from? So he was in the best movie of the two thousands. Uh like the best movie of the last fifteen years, which is There Will Be Blood by Paul Thomas Anderson. Was he? Uh opposite of uh, Daniel Day Lewis. And Paul uh, Tompkins. <laughs> but he was in that movie. That's true. Uh yeah, he played Eli Sunday, uh and that movie and him in it. Is so good because that movie is like he chews it up. Fantastic movie. Uh, yeah, he's also in uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, he was. Uh, early uh, on. Um, he was like a teenager. And, yeah, amazing, amazing. There's another one. I can't remember the name of this movie, but he plays a writer that imagines a character that he falls in love with, and the character comes to life. Uh, her. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's the other one. Um, I don't, I don't, this came out maybe 2012. Anyway, yeah, real good actor. Yeah, he was in Swiss Army Man with uh, Daniel Radcliffe. That was a really good, weird movie. That's right, that's right. Uh, He was in 12 Years a Slave. Uh, He was really good in that. (laughs) He was Uh, really good as a slave, you said? No, no, he was like a (laughs) slave owner type guy. Oh, wonderful. He was really yeah, good he was a piece of shit. really well. Yeah, he was a piece of shit in the movie. In fact, most of the time he plays pieces of shit. <laughs> he owned slaves great. Stop, don't do that. <laughs> Listen, you said it. <laughs> I did not. I said no such thing. Uh, point is, uh, him as Riddler is very interesting. I'm into it. Yeah, yeah, real interesting. Yeah, uh, I have no familiarity with him whatsoever. Matt Reeves did confirm the casting by sharing a picture of Dano with the hashtag Edward Nashton. Do you, yeah. do you think Matt Reeves doesn't know <laughs> what the Riddler's name is? Actually, he does know what the Riddler's name is because that is the Riddler's name. DC changed the Riddler's name to Edward Nashton uh, post-Crisis on Infinite Earths. And uh, he goes. He, what? Yeah, yeah. He goes by Edward Nigma as a like a, a fake name. 
but his name is Edward Ashton. It's uh, uh, believe me, it's uh, it's very interesting. <laughs> but <laughs> I've how what? Yeah, yeah. Now the fact that you are so <laughs> bewildered uh, actually, I think, is deliberate. However, that's something that's the meat of this conversation in my eyes is that with these announcements and with these conversations, they're not saying the Riddler, they're not saying we cast the Riddler, they're not saying we cast Catwoman, they're not saying we're searching for the Penguin. They're saying Edward Nash and Selena Kyle and Oswald Cobblepot. They're using their real names, and I wonder what that signifies. Here's my thought, and this is something that I thought the Arkham games did really well, uh, and to a lesser extent, the 1989 Batman movie. Uh, I like the idea of establishing kind of villainous figures in your world building. Like, you know, you have Edward Nigma or Edward Nash as a character in the background and he has a small role or whatever. It, it sets up future threads for more movies and stuff. Right. Yeah, they did that with Harvey Dent in the old movies. Oh, that's that's true. Okay, I see what you mean. It's interesting to have a face on that, though, already. Well, like, it just uh, it, it presents an interesting opportunity for a long-form storytelling. Instead of being like, here's our villain of the week in this movie. Yeah. And, and Matt Reeves very much appears to have a specific idea about what he's going for. It, it, it looks to me like he's going for, I mean, and this is not anything surprising, he's going for a noir story, he's going for a story that, that, that has legs long enough to, to work over the course of three films. So I think a lot of people are overreacting to how many villains are going to be in the movie. These are also characters that just populate his world in general, like Phil says. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. there's a great chance that, you know, Edward Nashton is just, a, you know, a, a, I don't know, a, a private eye or something goofy like that. And he has, you know, a, a fall later. A video game developer. I was going to say a toy inventor. Yeah. Board game yeah. We all went in three very strange directions with that. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, a zoo handler. We, weirdly though, all three pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. Not too far off, except for the zoo handler. Uh <laughs> Yeah, that I don't get. Can't say I understand that one. But uh Seriously, Sean, you really should see There Will Be Blood. That's a Sean movie. Yeah, uh, I put that in the back of my mind after you said it that I might need to check that out. The other casting news that we didn't talk about when it was originally discussed was Jeffrey Wright from Westworld playing Jim Gordon. Oh, right, yeah. It took me a second to place a face there. Uh, I've only seen the first episode of that show. Uh, Everyone online says he's a really good actor, though. He was great on it. He was really great. Uh, He's black, though, so... That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, maybe I have the wrong person. <laughs> this guy is very white. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You uh, definitely have the wrong guy. You said Westworld? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I spelled his name wrong. That's why. Was that HBO show? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. That'll be fun. It'll be fun. Oh yeah, he uh, uh, he was in the Bond movies, the the uh, Daniel Craig Bond movies. He uh, F- Felix Leiter. 
yeah, just thought I would throw that out there. I don't have a problem with it, ultimately. It, 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 it's going to make Batgirl interesting just because a standout element of her is her red hair. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean you can't get to that. You can definitely get to... I mean, Zendaya and Mary Jane. like Yeah, there you go. Whatever exactly. the it's... fuck her name is in that movie. I haven't seen it. MJ. MJ. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the initials do not uh, stand for Mary Jane. Silly, <coughs> silly enough. Um, it sucks that um, uh, what's his name got wasted in Justice League as Gordon. Oh yes, totally agree with you there. I don't even remember that who sucks. they had as Gordon in those movies. Uh, the guy that was uh, Jameson, J. Jonah Jameson, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Simmons was that's crazy. <laughs> I don't remember that. That damn shame he got wasted on Snyder. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about uh, another HBO show, Watchmen. So Watchmen debuts this Sunday for us. For you guys, it's already out and the first episode has aired. Definitely let us know what you think if you are watching it. Uh, it has 23 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and that has amounted to a 91% fresh rating. Uh, that's pretty good. Hmm. That is pretty good, and by all accounts, it's it is really good. Some of the some of the conversation around Watchmen uh, has been controversial. There are people who don't want it to exist for you know a variety of reasons. People who just don't like David Lindelof. But uh, Roger Ebert had some pretty good things to say. He said this is breathtaking, ambitious television that only gets richer with each subsequent episode. Um. There are more reviews and things like that that you can read for yourself. But, yeah, uh, apparently this show is, is is really good. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It seems like uh, HBO is really kind of, you know, putting a lot of stock into it. Like, in this post-Game of Thrones HBO era, like, they need a... They, there's a vacuum for a flagship show. And it kind of feels like they're putting the chips behind this one. Which is interesting, because from what I've read... There are no plans for a season two. If it's really popular, I'm sure they'll put a lot of pressure on them for a season two. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, the sh- the show's only just premiering tomorrow. I I I bet if it's if the audience likes it enough, they'll they'll announce it pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right about that. Uh, where's your hype level? Oh, I have no hype for it. <laughs> Uh, I I keep forgetting that's a thing uh, regularly. Um, it could be good. I don't know. I uh, I don't really get excited for TV shows. I guess. Yeah, I'm only, I'm only here for Nash Bridges. So. <laughs> I also don't have HBO. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how I'm gonna watch it here in Europe. So. Yeah, we're we're gonna do our best to get a review out for you guys this week. Um. It's a little weird just because we record on Saturdays and the show airs on Sundays, but we'll we'll try to make it work because uh, it's monumental. So I'm excited to check it out, and uh, I can't wait to see what David Lindelof has under his sleeve for this. Uh, up his sleeve, under his sleeve, what the hell? Uh, I can't wait to see what he's got in store for us with this show. <laughs> I'm glad you abandoned the analogy. Under, <laughs> under his mask. <laughs> um, Scott Snyder is leaving Justice League in January so issue 39 will be the last of his run with the Justice League uh, 
it's apparently going to pave the way for uh, whatever is next for the DC Universe. Um, we don't know exactly what he's going to be doing next, but he's talked about how uh, he wants to return to collaborating with Greg Capullo on a, a sort of spiritual sequel to Dark Knight's Metal. That sounds about right. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, so it'll be a Batman book. <laughs> right. My man only wants last to do night one on thing. Earth, last Night on Earth was supposed to be their last Batman story or whatever. Clearly, that's not the case. Uh, but, uh, yeah. I I gotta say, I read the first, you know, few issues of this run. I've bought it all, but I, I just haven't, like, kept up. Because, although it was good, right? Like, everything, all the pieces were there. Technically, everything was what it needed to be, there was just something missing, I guess. Uh, I, I love Scott Snyder, and I think he's super talented, but for some reason with Justice League, like it didn't grab me the way that I thought it would. Hmm. That's that's what I've heard about Justice League, especially the first, I don't know, first few story arcs, but then I, I've heard fairly recently as they've reintroduced like the the jsa and i don't know they did i think they did like an earth 2 or another earth situation um i've heard that 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 stuff is crazy good awesome uh this announcement actually inspired me to want to go go and, and catch up with everything that i've missed so that i can be there when the last issue drops and uh you know read it and finish out the story but it's good to know from what you said that it does pick up. Because what I read wasn't bad at all. Just didn't put its hooks in. My, my kind of feeling is it's not his wheelhouse. Uh, I don't, It's weird that a superhero comic book writer, I feel like superheroes are in his wheelhouse. But my impression is that he really nestles comf- comfortably in a more horror kind of background, you know? It's not... It's, I guess, it, yeah, like it sounds like it should be surprising, but at the same time, when you look at what Snyder has done, it's almost not because, you know, Batman is a character who's, you know, grounded for a superhero. All of his indie stuff is like, uh, I don't know, he just, he's got a lot of horror influences, yeah. a lot of like lower to the ground storytelling type stuff where I think he thrives when you look at like Black Mirror, right? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, Black Mirror. Um, that was incredible stuff. Uh, Justice League felt like a, a weird fit for me before I read anything of it. But when you read it, like, again, it is good. Um, I think I think it's pretty clear what's happening here, folks. He's leaving the book out of a protest because he wants his older brother, Zach, to get his director cut of his movie released. <laughs> you're, you're out of your mind. Do you mind. think we could start that rumor? <laughs> no. Yo, it's not 1993. Yo, did, you, just... did you know Scott Snyder's brother is Zack Snyder? <laughs> Why not? I am, I'm leaving this book unless my brother gets his director cut released. Oh, Actual damn, God. Scott. Playing hardball. <laughs> <laughs> That's utterly ridiculous. Uh, do, do you guys like Scott Snyder? Um, he's fine. I, I like his indie stuff a lot more than I think I like his Batman stuff. Um, I've always wanted, I've always wanted to go back and give his his Batman stuff a shot. But when I was picking it up in issues, it always felt like 
it would be better longer form and so it just never got me um sure he is a guy that when i read his books and i've heard i've heard him talk two before where it feels like when he's writing it's like this is going to be epic which i always feel like is a weird way to approach doing anything in life um i will say that he's come up with really neat ideas i think like the whole court of owls thing was really Mm. novel and unique yes uh i also thought like the ideas behind dark knight metals were also really unique and, and novel um his issue is for me is that i i think he's like He's like a, a writer who's capable of writing two-thirds of a story, and then when he reaches the climax, it's just, like, he struggles to land the plane almost every time. I thought that the ending of Batman was brilliant. Uh, some of those issues were some of the best issues of Batman I've ever read. I know that not everyone was happy with the whole Jim Gordon as Batman twist That was thing. neat, too. I liked that, too. Yeah, yeah I enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, and when Bruce returns... I, I I was blown away. I like those last five ish issues. I put up there with anybody's run. High they're, praise. They're really really good. Yeah. I, I I guess I'm talking about more specific arcs. I feel like a lot of the arcs, the way they would conclude, I was always like, eh, eh, eh. All right, all right. I I guess like I, I'm thinking back. I don't remember ever really like feeling disappointed with the run. So it's hard for me to connect with that. But it's been so long since I've read it. I, I feel like going back and reading his run now that we're talking about this. Uh, maybe we will. I I think the Joker stuff really burned me out on on him. The um that big crossover thing with all the all the Bat Family titles. Death of the Family. Was that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. I just I wasn't into it. And at that point, I think that was also the point around Infinity where I was just like, okay, I've got stuff to do. I can't afford to go pick these books up anymore. Uh, Death of the Family was average, I think. It was okay. I don't remember how I felt about it. I just know that I really liked the idea. I liked the reasoning behind the Joker doing what he was doing, which was like, hey, you're weak now, and this isn't fun for me anymore, so I'm going to take all of your family away from you to make you what you're supposed to be uh which you know whatever right i guess ultimately is that is that cool it depends on how you feel about that and how you feel about the joker it worked for me personally as a as a gimmick reason for why the joker would go for everyone but batman um but yeah your mileage may vary let's let's talk a little bit about mike mignola nice who's having a big week uh two I would say pretty pretty sizable announcements. The first one is something called The Forever House, which is a live-action series. It's going to be an anthology series based on tales from folklore around the world. Hell yes. Interesting. So it's going to be in the vein of, like, uh, The Twilight Zone or Black Mirror. Beautiful. Um but it's going to be designed aesthetically by Industrial Light and Magic, who are obviously well-known, well-regarded in the film industry for what they do behind the scenes. Designed to, quote, recapture the aura of classic Hollywood-style filmmaking through an updated modern lens. So Mike had this to say about 
what this is going to be. What started as a simple conversation with Ben over coffee is threatening to turn into a dream project. And Starburns, uh, that Starburns Industries is who Mike is teaming with for this. Uh, and getting back into the quote, mm. how often do you get to partner with guys who not only understand your ideas, but have the vision and skills to take it far beyond anything you could have imagined and make it a reality? There's more conversation. In fact, uh, Ben Berkowitz, who is the Ben that uh, was being referenced by Mike, had this to say about what this is going to look like. Fantastical as they are, myths are the ultimate real human story, immutable in their meaning, resonating with generation after generation for millennia. Partnering with the visionaries of Starburn Industries to place a cutting-edge lens on timeless tales is our dream, and hopefully someone's a nightmare. That is so exciting. Yeah, um... This is a really interesting premise. I haven't watched any of this Jordan Peele Twilight Zone, so I can't speak on the quality of it. It's behind that CBS all-access paywall thing, which is already a non-starter for me. But if you read pretty much any of Mike McNola's Hellboy, uh, in between like the major stories that he does, it's all like just monster of the week. Hellboy takes on something weird from mythology around the world with a BPRD mission. And they're all really, really cool and atmospheric and stuff. Um, so to tap on Mike McNola uh, for a project like this, someone that is like pretty intimately well versed in in various mythologies across the globe, particularly ones that uh, you know haunt your dreams, so to speak. This is a really, really interesting and, and exciting concept. I'm in. I'm into it. I'm really into it. Yeah. Well, I think um, isn't Starburns the guys that uh, I don't know if I think Dan Harmon works with them. He's a guy that does uh, yeah Dino. Um, fuck, how do you say this guy's name? Dino Stam Stam Fuck, fuck. It's man. been a while since we've had Kale mispronounces a name on the show as a segment. Stamatopoulos. Oh, struggling with those Greek names, Kale. That's. I mean, look at this name. Anyway. He, uh, yeah, I think this guy did, um, Moral Oral on Adult Swim. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, he was on, uh, the guy who runs it, Dino, was on, um, Community for a while as Starburns, but he does a lot of, um, just sort of background weird, weird projects like Moral Oral, and, uh, I think he's got something to do with Rick and Morty, too. I, I wouldn't swear to that, but, um, so this is, I mean, this is good pedigree too okay yeah i I mean look mike mignola obviously is one of the greatest creators in comics of all time i think that's pretty fair to say and i'm excited for whatever it is that he has to say uh storytelling wise or whatever medium obviously normally we you know we cover comics this isn't even like adapting a comic but i love the idea of being able to celebrate when creators who are this talented get opportunities outside of comics to tell their stories. This is cool. It, it, it's, a, it's a Venn diagram that makes a lot of sense. When you take someone that is as, uh, as celebrated as Mike Mignola and as talented as Mike Mignola and trying to take what he does and introduce it to a larger audience. Um, yeah. And that's a great, there's great potential here for that. Absolutely. So the other... Mike Magnola announcement is that <laughs> oh god 
is that he is uh, reteaming with Ben Steinbeck for Frankenstein Underground. Huh. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Frankenstein Undone. Frankenstein Underground is actually something that already came out. It's a celebrated one-shot that these guys worked on together um, that basically explores Frankenstein's monster. And this upcoming prequel is going to be five issues that showcases the monster struggling to live with himself in the wake of the events from the Frankenstein novel. Huh. Huh. Sounds rad, <laughs> if I'm being honest. It, it really does, actually, yeah. Uh, I, I've never read Frankenstein, i got to be honest. Oh, it's, it, there's a reason it's a classic, for sure. I, as far as like classic like gothic literature goes, Frankenstein is definitely up there. I, I I do I personally enjoy it. Um, there are a lot of people who say it's not good at all, but I I personally really enjoy it. Why do people think it's not good? I've never heard that. I have no idea. Cause all right, Victor Frankenstein's a whiny piss baby, and I don't know. Okay, well he's a whiny piss baby. So what? There's a lot of people that are whiny piss babies. You're a whiny piss baby. <laughs> I'm the I'm the king of the whiny piss babies, but. <laughs> That's so odd. Like, why would that be? I don't think that's that the only the... reason. Okay. But, I mean, that's one I've heard. Sure. All right. Fair enough. Uh, this inspires me to go read Frankenstein. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so I'll probably be doing that and then pick this up when it drops. So It's good. Yeah. When we when we record the literature, pals, I'll have you over as a guest. and um, Oh. Yeah. yeah. Thank uh, you. We can finally talk about Frank. I've been looking for the excuse. You know, it's October. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, man. Uh, so let's let's jump over to Marvel because there is some massive news that we've got to talk about. Uh, Kevin Feige is has taken over as the Marvel chief creative officer across all platforms, all media. The only space I don't think he's touching is gaming. I I, I don't think he's yeah he's not in gaming. That's staying how it is. Um, Dan, which is Dan Buckley. Um, huh. but in every other way, he is taking over, including the comics. Which the the CCO of comics is Joe Casada, so he's taking Joe's job. Uh, Joe is shifting hmm. over to EVP. He'll be the creative director of the company. Uh, he'll be a creative lead. Um, the way he's been. Um, but you know, that's it. This is it. We talked on the show very recently. Uh, I, I might have even been as recent as last week where Pete was saying how come Kevin Feige isn't just in charge of Marvel television or why does why does Marvel television still exist? <laughs> That's it. He's in charge now. Uh, Jeff Loeb will now be reporting directly to Kevin Feige. It sounds like they're just looking to tidy things up and streamline everything. Now, th- that's fine, I guess. And, and I don't mind how it's affecting the films. Obviously, it's not affecting the films, actually. I don't mind how it's affecting television. I really, really have some questions about the comics portion of this. Synergy! Yeah. It's, it's frustrating that there's a possibility. And I say possibility because Kevin Feige really hasn't done much wrong. Like, okay, whether you like a movie or you don't like it, you can tell that there's competency behind it, right? So, like, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, Phil, you're not a fan, right? Not particularly. Oh, okay, but would you say that, like, 
Taika got to tell the story he wanted to yes, tell. Yes. The actors are having a good time. Yes. Like it, 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 it's, it's, it's working. You know, but like it's not an incompetently put together movie. Exactly, and Kevin Feige clearly, at least to me, given the fact that the directors are, are excited to work with him and the actors are too, he's not overstepping. So that tells me that hopefully he won't overstep in the comic space. But what I don't want to see is the comics looking even more like the movies than they already do. Yeah, I, I the comics already are uh, starting to look more and more like the movies. Like I think the most frustrating thing for Marvel this decade is just the complete transformation of the Guardians of the Galaxy into a facsimile of what they are in the James Gunn movies. And don't get me wrong, I like those movies, but I like I like there to be separation because that's not what they were that led to the movie being made in the first place. Uh, it's lost all of its charm because everyone's trying to write Star-Lord to be Chris Pratt instead of just being what he was in 2007. Uh, so having more and more of this kind of uh, synergy between the MCU and the Marvel books, uh, that, if that's the direction it's going, uh, has no appeal for me whatsoever. Yeah, it's 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 tough. I I really felt after the Avengers films, they they really tried to mesh everything. Uh, the first Avengers film, they really tried to make things look like. Uh, the films and you you really saw it in like captain america's armor and then or his suit and then iron man's armor and it just i there there's a lot to like about the mcu but there's a lot that without its own comic pocket it's just not gonna work in marvel continuity and i i i don't i don't know how you marry that Uh, yeah i mean look it's so transparent, right? Mm. When so, for example, Elsa Bloodstone is a character that really has been a ghost in Marvel. Like I, I don't think I've ever read a comic that she was in, and now all of a sudden yep. she's everywhere. She's in every video game. Yep. Uh, they are placing her in the comics more and more prominently. Pretty sure she's either already in or about to be in the Avengers comic, and it's clear. That she's gonna be in the movies is is so obvious when you look at like how they're doing the the Damian Hellstrom show and and all of that like they're they're gearing up to introduce her in the supernatural like they want a supernatural team or something like that and she's gonna be involved like that's just an example of what I'm talking about yep. where it's it, it's so obvious and I don't want that I don't want the comics to be so influenced by what's going on in the rest of the media I want the rest of the media to be influenced by the comics yeah think of if anything think of uh, Carol Danvers you know she was Miss Marvel and then when it became clear that they had these kind of Wonder Woman-esque plans for her as like a central figure in Marvel uh, you know, they turned her into Captain Marvel, which I don't inherently, I don't think that's inherently a bad thing, mind you. But it was very clear that this Roman Reigns-esque push was with the intent of having a flagship franchise in the movies. Yeah, it is. I would, I would go as far as to say it's nauseating. And, it's, and it, again, like, I love Captain Marvel. Like, Carol Danvers is one of my favorite characters. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with Elsa Bloodstone or whoever. It's just as nauseating when, like, it's obvious that the X-Men get taken off the, the table because of what's going on with the movies. That stuff sucks. The Guardians example. 
Yeah, it, absolutely. Ant Man, yeah, had had a yeah. same push, yeah. Yeah. I I am a, a reader first. You know, I consume comics on a week to week basis. The movies come out a few times a year, I enjoy them fine. That's great. But I want separation and Kevin Feige seems to be a very intelligent man, and he's done a great job. So my hope is that he understands that distinction and is only looking to guide the ship so that it gets where it's trying to go and doesn't try to, to steer the ship necessarily. Yeah, I mean, what's what's next? Are we going to get more Spider-Man as, as Iron Man's sidekick in the books? Like, And he's like, what, a 30-something-year-old man at that point? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, uh, it, I, I I understand that th- th- what they're doing is very calculated. It's it's this it's this push to have as much b- cross brand appeal uh, as possible to attract as many people as possible. But oftentimes, when that's your intent, the quality of a product of an art suffers. Because you're focusing yeah. less on what's the best way I can tell this story with these characters. Instead, you're focusing on how can I attract as many people as possible. And that's not inherently mutually exclusive. You know, those Marvel movies are, for the most part, pretty good to great. Um, and that those are oftentimes manufactured with the intent of appealing to the largest audience possible. But I think that's more often an exception than the, the rule, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and quite frankly, I would go as so I would go as far as to say that the comics have the Marvel comics have gotten I don't want to use too harsh a phrase. Uh, There's like a sterility with it. In a, yeah, like excluding the X Men for sure. Otherwise, it feels bland. It, it feels as though they don't exactly have. Uh, a unique flavor all their own because it it's like they're they're doing you know safe stuff and then when a movie comes out the next event will mirror it so yeah. when we got infinity war uh in the in their in the intervening space they were doing a, a, an event called infinity wars you know and it's like yeah it wasn't the same story by any means it was actually quite different but it's Thanos again, it's Gamora, it's Nebula, it's it's like, it's all the same exact characters that were focused on in the movie, Yeah, just so happened to be the same characters focused on here, they're doing this whole Infinity, Infinity Gem story, like, we've already done this, you don't need to do it again just because a movie's coming out, but, I don't know. It's not for well, you, I- it's for the people who aren't reading. Well, that's the thing, I, that's sort of where I... I often have this this sort of mental struggle. It's just like, at what point do I personally have to keep doing this to go back to the same well over and over again? Because the movies have to keep up. So the comic machine has to keep up with the movies. And they're taking from each other back and forth. And it's like, I've done this. I've done this several times at this point. Why do I need to, you know, keep keep doing this for the same story? Yeah, I, I certainly think that's true. Like, and, and that's one of the reasons why I think on this podcast and in general, uh, there's such excitement surrounding what's happening with the X-Men because yes. it, it truly does feel like something unique and special. Uh, yeah, you could say, well, they've been to Krakoa before. They've had, you know, you know, their own 
Yeah, but, but it's very. This is different. Go ahead. This is different. Yeah, exactly. And if you're reading it, you get why. And but like to that same to that same token, like you know, Rosenberg is doing Annihilation Two, and you know, even even just on its face, like all due respect to Rosenberg, like I'm I'm not interested in Annihilation Two. I'll just go read Annihilation again. Like it was good and. I went through that once. I don't. It's gonna take something very unique to bring me back to that, and just basing it off the, you know, a title, isn't gonna get me there. I I completely sympathize with that. I see that, and I hope that we get more cool space stuff because uh, Marvel really excels with having um, a very elaborate cosmic universe. And it's not just Rosenberg. Al Ewing's going to be doing stuff there. There's The, the talent yeah. behind it is interesting as well. Mm. But you're right. If it is just like a retread of what uh, uh, Keith Giffen did 13 years ago, then I'm not here for it. It's the same issue with like Civil War II, where it's like, what's yep. not, like, why are we retreading things that are done better before? That was the most egregious example of what we're talking about with Civil War II. I don't know if I've ever been, rarely have I been that disappointed. And it sucks because it's like, come on, you're just taking the name and you're just slapping a two on there and you're doing it because the movie's coming out. And I'm not saying Bendis didn't have a vision. He obviously had a story he wanted to tell, but he wasn't even the first choice. You know, yep. like they wanted to do Mark Millar. Civil War Two, and then when they couldn't get that, they were gonna do it anyway. So they did it anyway. They got their when guy. The, the, yeah, Civil War One was good because it was a an organic, unique situation that spawned out of a writer's room where the writers themselves had an idea. Joss Whedon had a great idea, right? Uh, Mark Millar piggybacked and had great ideas and they made something out of it whether you like the story or not you cannot argue with its impact civil war 2 did not have that impact and there's a reason for that yeah um it was very transparent everyone knew exactly at the time it's what's kind of insulting from the language that comes from uh the marvel executives or the disney executives when it's like no 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 we're pushing the inhumans not because we can't use the x-men it's because uh they deserve to be on the front uh, just because you're not seeing the Fantastic Four anymore doesn't mean it's because we don't have the film rights. No, of course not. Uh, it's very clear that that book came out because there is a film coming out and it was a way to cross promote. That's all it was. And that's the stuff that really sticks in my craw with the Marvel stuff is just everything is a mean comics in a lot of ways feel like a way to cross promote the movies. Or to beta test stuff from the movies where it's like, uh, you know, yeah. let's let's have Falcon be Captain America and see how that feels. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. By all accounts, that was Rick Remender's uh, idea. but uh, I'm not saying it was a bad idea. It just felt like a beta yeah. run for like, oh, let's see how this feels because we know we're not going to have Chris Evans forever. I hear you. It's just, it's what I'm saying is that you, it's like you have to you have to look at every every scenario and go. Well, was that the writer's idea? Was yes. that an editorial mandate? And I don't want to think about yeah. all that. I just want to read the books. And you, you, someone could say, "Well, then don't think about it." But it's hard to not when you can see the yeah. lines so clearly. You can like it's it's clear. Well, and and that's that's the trouble with these corporate comics. Like it's you know there's eighty years worth of history on some of these, and it's like how much. 
how much more can you milk this cow? Like <laughs> a lot, I think. When you let the st- the storytellers tell the story that they want to tell, you know, I I don't feel like there's a shortage of good ideas. I just feel that editorial is saying these are the ideas you're allowed to have. You can have ideas about Thanos right now because he's the villain in the movies. So. Everybody give me your best Thanos ideas. And it's like, all right, well, if, if you want there to be three Thanos miniseries in one year and an event based around him, but we just did this organically with Jonathan Hickman's story not that long ago, then this is what happens. But I'm sure this isn't the last time we'll talk about this. We're going to get more information about you know how this affects the comic world probably within six months. Or so. What's so? What's next for Joe Q? Oh well, uh, he's going to be the EVP, and he's going to be uh, the creative director for the company. So okay. whatever that means. Yeah. But uh, let's talk about something more positive. Not that that's not a positive news, which is, we're all very cautious. But something unique, uniquely and unilaterally positive. Uh, Jonathan Hickman recently uh, participated in a Q&A session with Adventures in Poor Taste, a website that covers comics, uh, and responded to some questions and gave us some really interesting details. So uh, Jonathan Hickman talked about the fact that there will be a Moira series that's that's going to... yeah. That's very interesting. Um, Yeah, I'm very into that. She has been a background character... Uh, despite being a complete focal point for this entire uh, Hoxbox thing. So giving her a book of her own, I'm really curious how that takes shape. So uh, he did he did explain what that's going to look like. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read the whole thing just because I found his answer to be really interesting. Uh, so he received two questions. That are basically the same question, but I think it's worth asking. It's worth pointing out both of them. Uh, so one person said, Powers of 10, number 6, didn't include any updated timeline infographic of Moira's 10 lives. Any plans to publish one? Another question was, this is eating me up. If X2 and X3 are different timelines, how come Silo Bell is in both in a tube? That was something that killed me, too. Jonathan response was, okay, so these are actually the same question. And although this is a spoiler and me clearly explaining the story, I'm giving myself a pass in this case because the plan we started with at the beginning of the project changed during the publishing of it. So yes, there was going to be a thousand-year timeline in the back of Powers of 10-6 explaining all the cool things that happened in that life. Included in that timeline was going to be the revolution, the revelation, rather, that black brain telepaths are a Nimrod construct and on a long enough Nimrod timeline where he is locked in a battle with mutantdom, Nimrod always oversees the creation of black brain telepaths as a way to infiltrate the ranks of his mutant enemies. And the kicker here is that they all look completely identical when they manifest like Silobel does, but before then they all look different and display different power sets. It's only when they shed their external skin that a black brain telepath is revealed. So the matching shot in Powers of 10-1, where they looked like the same person in a stasis tube, but actually weren't, 
was built to be deceptive. The reason why this changed in production is because there was a writer we had hoped to get to do our eventual Moira book that works as kind of dancing between the raindrops of ex-continuity story, and they agreed to do it long before we were expecting them to commit, which is great news. Then I basically told them what I was planning to do and asked if they wanted me to not put the timeline in the book, which would lock a lot of plot story stuff in, and after talking about it, we decided not to stick it in there. So the Silabelle bits went unresolved on the page. But we got the writer we wanted, and the book is going to be amazing. Huh. Uh, this this might be the book I'm most intrigued by. Coming out. Is this going to be like a second generation book? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm here for it. This was something that I had asked for last week when we wrapped up yes. our house, our Powers of Ten review. I said I wanted a book that was going to tell us what happened. So it's, a, it's a more X book. So, like, what happened in what what has her, been her involvement in the current timeline? What the heck was going on in the one thousand year? Like, what we cannot aban- just abandon that as nothing. You know, like what what ultimately was that? Now we're gonna get those answers. Who the hell is the writer that they're talking about? No idea. I have no idea. There, so there's a damn it. There's a book that uh, this is all supposedly based on. Uh, it's called like the Fifteen Thousand Lives of. Yes, Harry Augustin, right? Oh yes, uh, the first fifteen lives. Sorry, of Harry. The first fifteen lives of Harry Augustin. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. Um, and uh, so. Some of the guys in the the Longbox Discord were wondering if it was oh, if it's that person. That would be so cool. So uh, Jonathan Hickman was accused of plagiarizing, uh, lifting the idea from this book, and the woman who wrote it, I'm blanking on her name. My apologies. Uh, she basically said, like he says, that's not the case. I'm gonna take him at his word. Both both stories are great. Pick up my book. Pick up his book. Let's all be happy. Uh, Catherine Webb is who. There you go. Which I'm fairly sure is a, is actually not even her real name. Oh, uh, she yeah, wrote okay. the book under a pen name. Claire North is supposedly there are two names. It's Catherine Webb or Claire North. Yeah, yeah. She's. Oh, yeah, oh, I don't know. Claire North is the pseudonym. Claire. Okay. Catherine Webb is is the is her real name. Yeah. Right. Very weird. But in any event, uh, that would be brilliant. That would be. That would be pretty crazy um yeah that makes a lot of sense to me that'd be like a really good collaboration yeah hmm it'll probably be bendis or some shit though no he's dc don't say that don't ruin this for us (laughs) for how long listen phil come on for how long but 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 kale how do you feel about the idea of this book oh i'm general i said last week i'm fucking thirsty for moira i'm <laughs> Give me oh, that yeah, Moira right. content. I'm fucking here for it. Kale likes thick women. Let's chill. Okay. Damn booty thick <laughs> ladies. Did I do it right? <laughs> You're doing oh, great, Kale. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. I, I don't. I don't have much else to say other than this is hugely exciting, mm. and I hope that whoever is. I mean, if if Hickman himself is excited about it, then that's great. I was personally hoping he would be the one to tell that story, but if all he was going to do was an infographic at the end of Powers, I'm much more interested in seeing 
whatever this is going to be told in an actual story yeah. rather than just, you know, a last page infographic in the back of Powers. So the other announcement that we got was that uh, of another new title called X-Corp. Oh, oh, interesting. Captain Marvel number 11 actually spoiled this announcement because uh, Carmen Carnero, who is an artist on Captain Marvel, uh, is going to be leaving the series. And in the letters page, uh, they had this to say. Don't let Carmen out of your sights. Follow her into the pages of X-Corp, the latest in the wave of genre-defining X-Men books. Issue 1 is on sale February 2nd. Now, that's pretty funny because not even two weeks ago, they weren't willing to talk about any of these titles at all except for Wolverine. And here they are, you know, talking about one of them in the back of the letters page of a... They've announced two more this week. Right. This this sounds like a DC Comics thing where it's like, we ain't doing this, and then everyone finds out about it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, Phil, you had a visceral reaction when I mentioned X-Corp. You want to explain why? Wasn't X-Corp in uh, Grant Morrison's new X-Men? Sure was. You remember oh. what it was? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, like, the story at that point was about how uh, there were so many mutants on Earth that, like, Youth culture was dominated by young mutants, and they were, like, the subject of harassment, and so, like, the X-Corp was kind of, like, I think it was, like, a legal foundation or something that was meant to kind of protect the rights of these people, right? More or less, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, th- we, we obviously don't have any more details about what X-Corp is going to be in this, you know, uh, era of the X-Men, but I wouldn't, I can't imagine that they would have used that name if they weren't going to do something similar to that, especially with, you know, what we know the human reaction has been to uh, this new, you know, era, this new regime, I can imagine that a, a, an X-Corp-like arm within Krakoa would be necessary. Even just the, even just by that um, brief synopsis that Phil gave, like, you can, you can see exactly how it would fall right into place here 100 percent, 100 percent. and uh actually uh x corp had branches in different parts of the world that were run by different mutants right yeah and now there's the ability to travel instantaneously anywhere you want with the flowers so uh you could easily see how they could bring in refuge refugees to Krakoa, you know, people who've been abused, whatever. Uh, I think it makes perfect sense. I love it. The one other thing I wanted to point out was just I love these titles that aren't action-based. Yes. You know, like this could and probably will have action in it, but I love the fact that on its face, the, the, the premise has nothing to do with adventure or action. It's just about, like, you know, legality and protecting mutants. Love it. You know, without blasting people. So Absolutely love it. Hey, there's something more... Uh, there's something more... Um, I mean, how it's often... It's a different do, flavor. How often do people yeah. fight? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so having it, like, settle in a, in a more bureaucratic way, uh, I'm, I'm interested in that. I hope it's a courtroom drama, like uh, Boston Legal. Okay. 
The X-Men are tough to defeat in a courtroom because all you have to do is bring a psychic in and it's all over. Well, and even now it's just like, oh, sorry, we're mutants. We're immune to whatever your bullshit laws are. See ya. Diplomatic <laughs> yeah. immunity, bitch. <laughs> cool. So with that, we're going to jump into our X-Men number one review. Uh, I'm very, very intrigued to hear what you guys have to say about this issue because there's definitely been some mixed opinions. I can only show you guys this. Uh, uh, Kale and Phil, I was able to get... The old three-way cover. Nice. Yes. Uh, For those of you who can't see this, which is everyone else, I'm holding the variant cover that showcases Gene, Cyclops, and Wolverine coming out of a birthday cake. Which I loved. I bought the Art Germ Jean Grey cover as well. I could not help myself. Uh, they're both so beautiful. And uh, I need more Jean Grey centric covers. So, uh, copped both of those. But uh, the team behind the book is, of course, Jonathan Hickman, who wrote the darn thing. Uh, we've got Lineal Francis Yu on art. We've got Jerry Allen Gulen. On uh, inks and Sunny Go with colors, with letters by Clayton Cowles. Um, that is typically Lanil's team. He works with them on almost every book he does. They bring out the best in him. What do you guys make of this issue? My my first, I guess the first thing I want to say about this issue is, especially the later half, is it, it felt like, um, you know, the X-Men are kind of famous, or at least early on they were sort of famous for... Um, being uh, a family like they would have those big baseball games yeah yeah um and they were really they were pretty famous for that and and um that's what this felt like to me it felt um the way the way the summers family and everyone in this you know in their part of the um uh, their household or whatever the way they all got together for dinner uh felt it felt very lived in and I really, yeah. I really enjoyed that part. It was, it was a nice uh, respite from Hoxpox. Yeah, I agree. Hoxpox was nonstop kind of political intrigue, and and it was ambitious. It was as big picture as it can possibly be. They created an entire nation state for an oppressed people. This was a step back, and um, I guess my first thing is. Why does Wolverine have a room at the Summers house? And why is his room and Cyclops' room on opposite ends of Jean's room? What the hell is that? <laughs> Wait, I didn't see that. Hold on. Let me bring oh, up yeah, that graphic. There's an opening between them. 10, 11, and 12. <laughs> yeah, there sure is. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> How have you not seen this? This has been going around the internet all week. I avoided it. I avoided all the internet stuff. Yeah, I don't know what Jonathan Hickman is trying to tell us. I mean, I know what he's trying to tell us. I just don't know why. <laughs> so how does that make you feel, of all people? Bad. Maybe. I don't like... Listen, the I... commandment was to make more mutants. We need more furry, psychic, laser-clawed mutants out there. How can the three of them make Listen, a child? I don't know mutant Kale. science. We have to take turns. Oh, no. Don't even talk about <laughs> you like that. My God. <laughs> I got this round, bub. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, that's the worst. It really is, and uh, I don't like any of it. So fucking funny. <laughs> underscore, underscore, fucking. Um. So anyway, the issue. 
Uh, uh, you know what? On that note, though, it seemed like Cyclops and Polaris had a thing. Did you? Yes. Did you guys see that? Yes. No. I, I, I interpreted that as just like, you know, he's the leader of the team and, uh, you know, she's just kind of curious about if he's... I think that what we were supposed to get from that sequence was that not everybody is as completely sold on Krakoa as Cyclops is. Yep. That, yes, I agree with that. But it it felt very, uh, it felt like an intimate conversation. Well, where that was supposed to be the end result, yes. I don't think it's impossible that we were supposed to get like they are intimately familiar, not intimately in terms of sexually, but intimately in the sense that Polaris has been in his life for an extremely mm-hmm. long time, right? Like she's Havoc's ex, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if I don't think they're together anymore. Um so they're very they're very familiar and comfortable. And I think if you had you know, like I could easily see a scenario where you could have that kind of relationship with your sister in law and have it not be sexual but close. Let me ask, but you could still be right. I don't know where we're going with all this sex stuff in this series. Let me ask you a question here, Sean. You've in previous episodes uh, kind of raised question marks about the portrayal of Cyclops in in Hoxpox. Yeah. This this issue was nothing but Cyclops for the mo- like. This was all this. He was the. It was a character piece around him. What was your takeaway? Sorry, repeat the question. I said. This whole issue was just a character study for Cyclops. What was your take yeah. on So, he definitely feels more like Cyclops here, but there's still a devotion that does not line up with the last time we saw Cyclops before House of Powers. One of the things that I was intrigued by was something that uh, I want to say Pepe Larraz mentioned on Twitter where he just asked the question, have you guys noticed how many times Cyclops has used his optic blast throughout the series? And pretty sure the answer was zero times. So I thought that that was significant, but here we see him use it. So I don't know what we were, what LaRoz was getting at with that, but there's just something about the way that Cyclops isn't questioning any of this at all that doesn't sit right with me i mean he killed professor xavier not on purpose but he did it uh a while back uh he went through hell recently with the x-men and everything that was going on with them is it just that he's happy to not be the driver anymore and he's, he's welcoming the fact that Professor X and Magneto have this grand plan that he can slide into and just be a, a field leader like he used to be. I don't know. I have a lot of questions about Cyclops. This reminds me of – it reminds me of the um, the Cyclops that sort of led, I guess, Genosha? Okay. Or or the, um, the island that was off California, whatever that was. Oh, yeah, yes. It, like this, this feels like – Cyclops, who is dedicated to leading, and and he's there, but he we're also looking at him at a time when he's not the driving force. Right. I like Cyclops. I I'm I will always have a soft spot for the Cyclops that does not have to be the leader of mutants. Yeah. Just the leader of the X Men, which are two different things, and that's probably my favorite version of Cyclops, even though. 
the mutant leader Cyclops grew on me hard over the last decade. I will say, and I don't want to belabor the Cyclops stuff too much, but I will say that I really, really loved the the quieter moments with him later on in the issue where he's with his dad yeah. and um, and all that. I, I really loved that. We haven't gotten a real moment at all between Jean and Cyclops, though. Well, I think at this point she's uh, too busy uh, 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 with Wolverine. Yeah, Cyclops might get his turn, you know, soon. She didn't interact with Wolverine either. Uh, no, she, she did. Apparently, <laughs> all right. Let, let's let's let but let's talk about this issue though for real. Uh, um, just real quick, the Corsair, yeah. so fucking cool. I fucking love the Corsair. He's awesome. Um, yeah. Also, uh, when we're talking about this intimate stuff, I really really enjoyed some of the kind of levity in it too. Like the interaction between Vulcan and uh, Wolverine was extremely good. Yeah. Vulcan is just yeah. an annoying prick. Do you expect me, the yep. man of the fire, to not cook your steak? It's like, oh my god, fuck you. I just want it rare. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you'll have it rare. Medium rare. <laughs> yeah, what a jerk. What a prick. It's, so, like... That's also something that we haven't seen a ton of, is just kind of more uh, light moments like that. I really don't think I've seen much of that in, like, a ton of Jonathan Hickman's work in general. He's not known for that. Right. But he he's just good. Like, he can do anything. And the funny stuff in this issue really works. Uh, I think the poignant stuff works a lot. I loved Magneto. Uh, the way he's kind of being revered and he's relishing in that role. You can tell that... The anger that always existed within this character is not... It's its quieting down when he gets these opportunities to be around these mutants. He deeply loves mutants in a way that we've not seen... We've not been able to see too much of because he's always fighting. He's always militant. But here, the kids love him. He's, they want him to tell stories. And he's all about it. And I love Magneto like He's extra, too. He's like... Yeah, yeah. You won't have to, for I am Magneto. Let man run from me. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah, there were so many, like, moments that, that caused me to smile or, you know, just laugh out loud. I even had, like, a couple of fist pump moments. This, this issue is just a victory. It, it, it's, it's all victory. It's all, like, good feelings, you know? There's, there's, there, like, there's been complaints about it. People are upset that it was a little slower paced and fuck them. Um, but what did you, what did you expect? We were always going to get away from the, from the pacing of House and Powers. It was one a week, and it was meant to reintroduce the X Men and actually give them a new purpose. That's a that's a huge undertaking. You think we were always going to stay at that pace? It's impossible. I, Things had to slow down. I, I would say that if you... People that don't... I, I, I find it almost mind-boggling that you don't want your characters to actually interact with each other in, like, relatable ways. and not Not even just relatable ways. Ways that, like, reflect their growth. Because, like... 
if the story is all action, 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 like we have to go from point A to point B to point C, that's nothing. Because why do you care about the characters? At that point, the only reason you care about the characters is because of past stories and your familiarity with them. You Hickman has to tell a story here and like create characters that you care about, and not just because you cared about right. them in the past. Right. That's infuriating. Exactly. A lot like <laughs> this is a story. What are we doing? The the critiques don't make sense to me. I think that yes, the X Men are weird. There's there's no question that they are weird right now. But that's like you said, that's a part of the story. But if you care about the journey of these characters, then <laughs> very few things should make you happier than seeing Cyclops talking to his father. Yeah, um, I loved him in this book. Um, you really get a sense of what he, his deal is, and he's just a hundred percent in. He believes in the dream. Who's he? Cyclops. In, in what you're saying. Okay, yeah. Um, what do you think of Cyclops moving his personal resonance to the moon? I think that that is very Cyclops, but it's also very... Uh, he's isolating himself from the rest of the mutants. And that's probably not a good thing for someone who is supposed to be a, you know, more of a leader. But again, it underscores the fact that he is the team leader not necessarily the mutant leader. We really haven't seen much leadership displayed by anyone other than Magneto or Professor X. I think the closest you got was Storm in uh, House 5, I think, when they revived everybody. Mm, yeah. Well, and Cyclops had, had you know, kind of his, his moment when, when they all died on the, on the mother mold or whatever. I, I meant leadership of the mutants oh, in oh, general. Mutants. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, he was leading the team there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel as though, whether it's intentional on the part of uh, Professor X and Magneto, or it's just what the mutants want, it, it feels as though no one else really has presence in that way that the mutants are responsive to. Um, Not just that, but like in, in, in Powers, in House of X5, I think, when they all come back, a lot of the mutants do not feel like fleshed out people yet. Uh, a lot of them feel like they're just mutants or they're just yep. background characters or, you know, whatever. Which is what is so refreshing about this issue. Like, uh, the whole Summers family, for the most part, uh, feel like, you know, like people with agency, I guess. Because there was something really odd about how just everyone uniformly was like, yes, we are all on board with Krakoa. It felt like no one had their own agency. Like, even characters who were militantly opposed to Xavier or Magneto in the past, like Apocalypse. It's like, it's mind-boggling. And it made for good shock moments, but when things sit and progress more and more, you need, you need to see these characters be characters. Outside of you know, your your Moira, your Xavier, your Magneto. And so that's what I really liked about this issue. I am lockstep in agreement with you on that, and that's why I'm so excited for Fallen Angels, because Fallen Angels by Brian Edward Hill is going to be about characters who don't necessarily feel like they have a place in Krakoa and aren't, like, all the way sold on it. And we need to see more of that, because there's no way that 100% of the mutants agree with 
everything that's happening. And that was probably the most troubling thing about where Cyclops is at because he seems like someone who would have questions and wouldn't necessarily be all the way down. Wolverine seems the same way. So, you know, again, it's it's really more of like, is Jonathan Hickman uh, wanting us to ask these questions or is the implication supposed to be that those conversations were already had and it's dealt with? It, it kind of feels like the, the famous Alan Moore Superman story, which is the uh, for the man that has everything, where Mongol, to get Superman out of his way, uh, puts, uh, uh, what do they call those, starfish? No, it wasn't a starfish. It was uh, the black, it was a black oh, uh, right. flower it was a thing. You're right. Yeah. Uh, and, and the idea is that this is what the idealized Superman world looks like. That's what it feels like here for Cyclops, where it's like, you know, Utopia was discovered, and what qualm can you possibly have? But you're right. Uh, you know, we. I feel like we know Cyclops is a man who questions everything, and it is also highly intelligent, and you know, can see at least in my mind would be able to see where things might be a little off. I want to change gears here. Yeah, Sean, you have a a, a good long history with the X Men. Do you recognize this this? Uh, uh, bifocal guy on the Orcus Forge. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> bifocal. Guy. Wait, is that Doctor Devo? Yes. Was that his name? Yeah. Uh, so there is a Doctor Devo, I believe, who appears. Oh God, it's like a random. I don't even remember the number or the story or anything, but I feel like I I have seen this character. He definitely a character similar to this has definitely appeared before and may have had the same name, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, he just he he has the the air of someone I feel like I should know but don't. Yeah, actually, there was a bleeding cool article. I didn't read it, but it had a headline about what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So that maybe might even there's something to what you're asking. I think. And of course, Kale's referring to uh, the 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 villain of the story, or at least the hero, you know, one of the villains of the story. The hero, maybe, depending on your perspective. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, 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 let's talk about this part actually, because we we do have uh, we do have the good doctor, and we do have uh, Doctor Gregor talking about you know what's going on with the mutants. Doctor Gregor's husband died. Uh, during house, he he died on the mother mold uh, with that whole deal, um, and it feels pretty dire for the for the humans at this point, right? Like for me personally, I almost feel bad for them. I guess I guess for me, I I I could see that just in the fact that this book is focused on the mutants, but like when I think about like the the scope of the Marvel universe outside of this, I'm like, yeah, they're probably fine. Like, <laughs> You know, like the the aim scientist or whatever the fuck who are trying to work on this is a you know is similar to how it was uh, in uh, the Avenger series. Uh, time time runs out that we read yeah. recently. It's like yeah, whatever. Their aim, they'll they'll be fine. They're fine. <laughs> They're like cockroaches. They never die. <laughs> um. Yeah. Do you guys care about this angle at all? Uh, this portion of what Hickman is doing. I don't know yet. Uh, I would say I didn't until the the twist. Go for it. Yeah. So 
apparently Dr. Gregor has figured out a way to bring back her husband. And that's the cliff the cliffhanger we are left on. And it it brings to mind like I I wonder if she's figured out the secret of Krakoa and you know the rest of um or maybe you know she's holding a, a red uh, red gem maybe she's figured out sinister's secrets or maybe she's been sold or sinister secrets well we i'm not gonna say we 100 percent know this for a fact but it's pretty close to confirm that mr sinister is going to betray them he did in the future we we know that in the in the um in the text. x2 yeah. m3 yeah. yeah we know that he ends up betraying them two different timelines he does the same stuff and we also know that even though they wiped one Sinister's mind, we learned from the, the secrets in Powers of Ten, number five, that he was replaced. And he was replaced by a Sinister who didn't get his mind wiped. So it's very possible he's playing both sides. Yeah. Oh, darling, I would never do such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alive with Krakoa, darling. How dare you accuse Mr. Sinister of such treachery? <laughs> Shit, Sean, do you have one? Hell no. No, come on, come on, you got one. I really don't. Sean, come on, you got one. Come on, you <laughs> dig deep, you can do it. Come on, we're all sinisters here. Mm, Drake, you must have a sinister in there somewhere. We're all sinister. <laughs> I have a sinister anger right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. Uh, no, um, you guys are the voice guys. But in any event, uh, <laughs> we we should really address before we wrap the weird experimentation that yeah. we see and this like very reminiscent of black swan character I, yeah I, I wanted to bring her up as well yeah <laughs> oh there's black swan i know where this is going <laughs> yeah i don't i guess i don't have a ton to say because i don't know what the hell we're supposed to get from this character but very very interesting uh uh she says uh it's a it's a a, a woman or some kind of child that says I emerged before I was fully cooked, a child born out of time, but I had to, don't you see? There are wild gods loose in the world. And I'm assuming that that character is referencing the mutants. I, I, I do wonder because the exact next panel are Cyclops, Magneto, and Polaris standing in the foreground, or in the background, fully colored and everything. And Magneto right. straight up says, <laughs> oh yeah, the only gods on this planet are the ones standing right here. On brand. <laughs> so, I, w- I wonder if it's uh, just based on, on that panel's dialogue and literally nothing else, because we don't have anything else to go on. I wonder if that's maybe a Moira that somehow has stepped out of her timeline or whatever. Whoa. Interesting. Um, I'm, I'm, I really like the design of, like, people with, like, negative complexion or whatever, where it's, like, the colors mm. are inverted, uh... Like Mr. Yeah. Negative or whatever. I think that's a really interesting look. More importantly, Sean, this book, I already know why you liked it. It had the one thing you like more than anything. It had gorillas. 
Yo, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. I wanted to... Actually, I didn't really want to see that scene too much because I don't want to see gorillas get beat up. But I kind of wanted to see what the heck happened there. I just love the implication <laughs> on Magneto's part. Like, like He was like, you know what? I got this. And then they asked him what happened. He was like, that was mad easy. They basically turned on each other. I didn't have to do much. Like They already knew what time it was. I just, I just love that. Like That's so funny. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the art. <laughs> it really is just like, yeah, uh, they're a tribal and turned on each other. The end. <laughs> Hold the phone. I want to see this dialogue real quick. I want to see this. Uh, it, uh, sometimes, like, telling and not showing is better. And when it comes to something like that, it's much better. It worked out perfectly like it couldn't have been any better the way the the way that worked out uh the evolutionary throwbacks retain just enough of their humanity for things to become quickly to quickly become tribal after i after i asserted my dominance it didn't take long for them to turn on one another (laughs) so magneto pulled out his dick (laughs) yeah basically yo like what kind of <laughs> what kind of response is that? Like how, how insanely arrogant are you? <laughs> oh, he's the most arrogant dude. Magneto, yeah, come on. Oh god, but I'm here for it. I really I really appreciate it. <laughs> oh beautiful. Uh, I mean, Magneto really does have a lot of bravado, and I guess he always has. It's just never it's not always uh, put out on the forefront. But yeah, I, I did want to talk about the art because that's been a point of controversy as well. People very much miss the more flashy, kinetic style of Pepe Larraz and R.B. Silva. Obviously, they miss Marta Gracia's colors that give so much life to this story. Um, and Lanil Yu, you know, whether you like him or not, his style's definitely more stiff and it works probably better for uh talking heads so how do you guys feel about the art here huh i don't know if i agree that his work works better for talking heads i i really enjoyed you know use uh work here i think no uh, i do too i think uh i think it it's it's definitely his style but what i generally don't like in use figures and faces and stuff I didn't really feel here. Like, uh, I guess the, 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 the page you could probably see it most on is uh, the Wolverine and Vulcan page, you know, where they're up close on the faces and stuff, and it it looks good. Like, it doesn't, they don't look like you faces, you know? I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I guess I'm thinking, I totally agree. I'm thinking specifically of, like, Secret Invasion. Yes. Um, yeah. But here, yeah, it looks really good, and I think what really helps that is you said you said this was the the team he usually works with, Sonny Go yeah. and um, uh, Jerry A. Yeah, <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> um, there, the colors on this uh, follow um, Marta Gracia's really, really well. The palette feels, if not the same, very, very similar to what was in Hawksbox. 
Yeah, I, I, I do agree. I think that there a, a great effort was made to get the colors to be in line with what we grew accustomed to because it does have a particular vibe that you need to present. Uh, Yu's work often is a little bit darker. Uh, if you look at like his Civil War, that was a really dark book, and that's what I've come to expect from him. This was a welcome change of pace, and a lot of that, again, is due to uh, Jerry's work, or Sonny's work on uh, Colors. Um, a, a lot of that is due to that, but, you know, I I think he's <laughs> incredibly talented. Yeah. I, you know, I, yeah, I reject... Absolutely the criticism of this issue you know i think like i said before you know i do feel like when characters are standing around talking uh you does a great job of their bringing out their facial expressions that's one of the reasons why i liked him so much in civil war 2 or not civil war 2 but civil war uh from secret wars because that book was about war and it was about pain and he did such a good job of, of bringing out those emotions so i'm very excited to see him do the same thing here like i point to the panel where uh, cyclops is talking to polaris and cyclops just has this look of like devotion and belief when she asks him you know do you like do you really believe this or whatever yeah um this was the this, i just yeah this is what i was gonna bring Go up the bottom of that page the the big like cyclops kind of looking down into the distance that's a beautiful yeah. panel from colors to to the pencils uh just the design of it it's beautiful definitely are you generally a fan of you's work phil uh what else has he done secret invasion right so you ever secret read secret invasion? invasion it's been years i don't even, i don't remember very well that's the scroll book right yeah I didn't I like, like the book. Did, uh, I feel like he did a, a bit of uh, Superman at one point, too. Uh, did he? Could be wrong about that. Not sure. But he's done so many things. He's a veteran. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I really enjoyed the art. And I was, I, I won't lie, I was a little bit worried when it was announced who the artist was because I thought it would be a big shift in style. And it is, but he did a great job. So I can't wait to see him get his hands on Apocalypse and Professor X. Oh. I'm really looking forward to seeing him do more with those characters. He did Superman Birthright. Did he? There you go. Oh. Am I crazy? I might be crazy. Uh, you you would know better than I would. If, if I'm crazy or not? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, um, no, he did Superman Birthright. That's a beautiful book too. Shit. Sean, do you remember at some point we talked we talked about, or maybe I saw it on Twitter, at some point it was said that X-Men itself is going to be... Uh, someone following different facets of the x-men like someone mentioned they were disappointed that someone was just in a book with the summers family and then that, who's someone i, I it might have been at comic-con it might have been on twitter okay uh but i feel i feel like i recall some maybe hickman maybe someone else you know an editor or whatever somewhere it was said that this book would be this book would be like I, I think Cyclops and different oh gotcha. factions of mutantdom or whatever. What the book is is it's a, a Cyclops focused book. Cyclops now has the authority to put together any team of X Men for any mission. So it'll be Cyclops plus whatever team he needs for whatever the mission requires. Uh, and the way it was initially pitched <clears throat> is that it's going to be 
one shots not not one shots but like each issue will tackle a different narrative and cyclops will be at the center of that with his team whoever they may be that issue exactly Brad. we've also been told this is the book to look to if you want to see more of like the mainline story so like as far as professor x goes as far as you know what the hell's going on with mystique as far as apocalypse goes this is the book for that hmm. Hell yeah, yeah. Uh, just real quick uh i did want to make mention of something that i i thought was uh interesting i didn't understand why mystique wanted destiny resurrected so bad or like why they were even friends but as it turns out they're more than friends oh yeah <clears throat> yeah and in uh, history of the Marvel Universe, there's a, a sequence that I, I didn't read the book. I only read this uh, on online, where they uh, have an interaction, like a kiss or something, that indicates that they're together. So that's a big problem. It's not Mystique just wanting her buddy resurrected. Oh, gal pals. <laughs> that that kiss. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see how they're gonna be able to keep Mystique at bay the way they think they are yeah i mean i mean that that was certainly the the implication we walked away with in general but uh, yeah. yeah yeah um i don't know if you knew this sean but i think it was dave cockram who designed nightcrawler i could be wrong his original idea for nightcrawler's parents was to have mystique be nightcrawler's dad and destiny to be his mom i'm dead serious are you <laughs> i don't believe you serious yes Tell me you're 100. I'm 100 serious. serious. That was that was his idea. If I'm not mistaken, it might have been someone else's, and I think it was either like Jim Shooter or Claremont who was like, "No way!" Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, that was that was I like that. that was that was an idea they had. I don't, I don't know if I like it or not. It's kind of how weird. does it even work? That doesn't make right. sense. She shakes mystique. She makes testicles, dog. And and the whole reproductive yeah system. Yeah, is her. Isn't Rogue her daughter too? Didn't she adopt Rogue yeah. or something? My understanding is that Nightcrawler and Rogue were her children. I, I could be wrong. Sense to me. I could be wrong. I, I I think Rogue was adopted, and so like Nightcrawler and Rogue are steps or like step siblings or something. But I, I, that again, I'm more well versed in the Nightcrawler stuff because that was my favorite character growing up, and I'm pretty. I'm I'm telling you 100 uh, percent in my memory that's still true. Wild. Man, the X-Men is just fucking wild. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it, it, um, I just looked oh, it up, and it says that it was, uh, it was, Mystique is her adopted mother. Boom. Oh, okay. Her foster mother. It, it was uh, Claremont's. It was Claremont's idea. I have a, I have a thread <laughs> for you guys for later. Cool. So it's Claremont's idea. Yeah. Okay. It makes sense. He wanted Kitty Pride to be... Uh, to be uh, queer, I guess. And 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 speaking of which, did you guys catch that heat between Hepzibah and uh, Rachel Summers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was something. Uh, I like Rachel Summers. I'm here for that. <laughs> Me too. Wonder what her spikes are um, for. <laughs> all right, let's let's uh, let's let's get out of here. So ultimately, we all liked it, right? Oh, we yeah. loved it. Yeah, yeah. I'm on board. Yeah. Is this a book that you guys would like to follow? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Given given it as the main one, I think uh, I'm I I am more interested in following this one than the others. At this fair point. enough. Well, 
Uh, next week, we will have the Marauders review for you guys. Um, we might have to figure out a different way to do these just because we're all so intrigued by the X-Men books, but we want to you know, talk about some other stuff too, so stay tuned for that. We'll be thinking about how to present this to you guys in the best fashion possible, but in the meantime... We at least want to do the, the number ones. Yeah, we at least want to do the number ones, um, and we'll take it from there. But uh, in the meantime... Definitely let us know your thoughts right in. Let us know how you guys would like for us to handle the X-Books going forward. If you like the reviews that we've been doing, if you hate them, whatever. Uh, you can write to us at comicspals at gmail.com with your thoughts on that or anything else that we've talked about on this or any other episode of the show. Uh, you can get us on all podcast hosting platforms, of course. We are on social media at the Comics Pals, wherever you, uh, wherever you like to get your social media at. And don't forget to check out our YouTube content. We've got the interviews out there from New York Comic Con. We've got interviews with uh, Robert Kirkman. We've got interviews with Al Ewing, Matthew Rosenberg, uh, Wes Craig. So many different creators and more rolling out every day. So um, keep your eyes peeled for that. And, of course, while you're there, make sure you subscribe, click the like, uh, share with your friends, notification bell, all that YouTube jazz and uh, yeah, let's do some plugs. Kale. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Comics Pals. You can find my work at kaleward.com. That's C A L E W A R D.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Phil. Uh, you can find me at Cyborg Bebop, and you can find my truant friends at Mr. Marco Animoto and at Loud underscore Pete. I don't know why you'd follow them. Just go on www.kaleward.com. He already told you what to do. Awesome. As for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only, at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about why Jean Grey needs to be, um, she needs to be protected. (laughs) (laughs) She's like one of those flowers. She really needs to be. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little sick of this already. Or one issue deep. <laughs> With that, we're the Comics Files signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Oh, I remember when I first fell in love with Jeannie. She handed me a Molson and I was like, oh. <laughs> mm, my, I, Mr. S- Mr. Sinister, remember my first time with Jean Grey. She's my little hockey puck, eh? She's a real slap shot!